contented yet ambitious devotion. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Fifth Sunday in Lent, April 3rd, 2022, from Christchurch, Jerusalem. As we approach Passover and Holy Week, Isaiah has us look back at the Exodus while calling our attention to God's new thing. We look back not in nostalgia, says Reverend Alex Jacob, but to remember God's faithfulness, a faithfulness that we can count on going forward. We find here a tension between contentment in our circumstance and ambition for God's future. As we search our hearts for holy balance, Mary of Bethany models for us devoted, Jesus-centered worship. How pure is our motivation to follow and worship Jesus? In Anglican services, we make a transition at this point from speaking to God to hearing from Him. So first we'll hear the word of the Lord read for us, and then the word will be preached. The first reading is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43 and verses 16 through 21. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariot and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, and extinguish, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is Psalm 126. Please read it with me. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The third reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The gospel reading, reading is taken from the book of John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Please stand as we are in the presence of the King. The good news according to John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Alex Jacob, and I send greetings to you from the United Kingdom, where I work with the church's ministry among Jewish people. I'd like to thank the leadership here for the invitation to preach this morning. It's always a great privilege and responsibility to preach in this great setting. Will you please pray with me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Touch our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit and give to each one reverence and humility. Without these gifts, it is impossible to receive the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first reading was from the prophet Isaiah. And he proclaims what the Lord says. And our reading began with this proclamation. But if you just go back a few verses to verse 14 and 15, you'll see that Isaiah gives a context to the Lord. He gives four specific titles or descriptions about who the Lord is and the Lord's character. 
Firstly, he says in verse 14, the Lord is your redeemer. And then this is followed by the term, the Lord is the Holy One of Israel. He is in verse 15, the Lord's creator. And in verse 15, again, your king. So there are those four descriptive titles about the Lord. I think all those titles and descriptions are greatly encouraging. It gives a wider context to what follows next. These titles assure the listener or the reader that the Lord will make good every word he has spoken. Why? Because he is the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, Israel's creator, your king. As human beings, we might well make promises to each other from time to time. I'm sure you've made lots of promises and other people have made promises to you. And sometimes they're kept and sometimes they're not. We're flawed human beings and sometimes our promises cannot be fulfilled. Circumstances change uh, and we fail to keep what we say. So human promises are valuable, but they're not foolproof. But there's a total guarantee when the Lord speaks. As we focus on the Isaiah reading, we see firstly that there is a looking back. In verse 16 to 17, there's a looking back to the great revelatory event of Israel, the Exodus. And the past example of the Lord's power and his faithfulness is given there by the prophet to prepare the way for the new thing which the Lord will do. In one sense, I think Isaiah is saying here, this is not the time to be nostalgic about the past, but to somehow get hold of what the Lord is doing now. Alex Motto, in his commentary on Isaiah, writes these words, which really spoke to me when I was preparing this a few days ago. He says this, the past can teach us lots, but it, was, it must never bind us. We must always be looking forward to what God will yet do. It is not that the Lord would go ever back or rewrite the Exodus revelation, but the Lord's people should live in the present reality of the Exodus God. The Lord's people should live in the present reality of the Exodus God. And I think when we pick up Paul's letter to the Philippians, our third reading, we have this sense of Paul pressing on this idea of, 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 of moving forward to the new thing which the Lord is showing him. So God is faithful, and we rejoice in that, but we also use that not as an act of nostalgia, but as a springboard for the new thing which the Lord is going to show us and bring to pass. At the end of that Isaiah reading, we see that the outworking of this promise of the Lord is that the people will proclaim praise in verse 21. The people will proclaim praise. And this theme of praise is picked up in the psalm of praise, Psalm 126. And that praise is focused on the restoration of Zion. As God restores Zion, the people praise God. And if you look at Psalm 126 in the second verse, there's a twofold outcome of this restoration. Two, two things are taking place. There's a praise 
For the, from those who have returned, they have a sense of joy and thanksgiving, for they have returned as uh, the prophets proclaimed. But there's also a second group of people who are praising God, namely those from among the nations who has seen God's purposes being fulfilled. So there's a double group of people here, two groups of people. There's a double blessing of praise from those themselves who have experienced the return and from those from the nations who perceive that this is a work of the Lord and their praise is united. It is interwoven. They are complementary events. God's mighty acts for his people Israel is what's spoken about here in the psalm and in the prophet. In our New Testament readings, we pick up on God's unique and supreme acts of saving all people through the birth, death, resurrection, ascension, and the promised return of Jesus the Messiah. So I think when we look at scripture, we see two parts of God's revelatory and redemptive purposes to Israel and to the nations. And they are complementary. These two truths fit together. They are both vital pieces in the redemption picture. If we simply focus on one, the beauty and significance of both will be marred. We need to hold together in dual focus. I believe that's one of the strengths of this church over many years able to proclaim God's faithfulness to Israel and the universal inclusive nature of the gospel, which includes every single person is invited to come and know the Messiah and put their trust in the God of Israel. I came into Ben-Gurion Airport like some of you would have done a few days ago, and um, I'm not a very good flyer. Um, there's, a low, there's an old joke which my kids get kind of very irritated by, Dad, why don't you like flying? And my reply is, well, my arms get tired. Um, and um, so because I'm not a very good flyer, I always get to the airport ridiculously early. So my case, I'm convinced, was the first case on the BA flight. Now, I thought, in my naivety, first case on might mean first case off. <laughs> Sometimes do you feel your hope is crushed? Um, and I was waiting patiently at that Kawasago round and round and round. My case came out three hours later than everybody else's. I've already put a missing file form in and uh, eventually it turned up. But the good news was, as I was at Ben Gurion Airport, um, I was able just to catch up with a bit of reading. And I came across this book, which is in my hand luggage, not my case. And it's a book about one of the pioneers of the Messianic Jewish movement, Joseph Rabinowitz. And it's a wonderful book. It's a kind of biography, historical biography. If you don't know uh, this book, or you don't know this, this person, it's worth checking this out. But Joseph, in his ministry, which began um, in, well, he was born in 1837. He died in 1899. And he said this, and this really struck me. I don't know sometimes when you're reading, you know, stuff goes in and out, doesn't it? But occasionally you have something which kind of just stays with you. And this is what he said. Throughout my life, I have only two subjects which I have ever been absorbed in. These two subjects are the Lord Jesus Christ, the other one is Israel. 
I've only ever had two subjects which I've been absorbed in, the Lord Jesus Christ, the other Israel. And he was a pioneer in the Messianic Jewish movement and uh, developed a congregation in, 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 in Russia. So I believe, as Ravinovich says in, 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 his, in his biography here, uh, and I think as the scriptures point to us, and I think as CMJ has tried to do faithfully over many years, is to hold those two wonderful things together. Israel and the person and work of Jesus. Sadly, in many parts of the church, those two things have been divided. There's been a parting of the ways, and that is something which we're all diminished by. And then we pick up from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul celebrates the centrality and completeness which comes from trusting in the Messiah, the God of Israel. There may be many things which shapes us, and there are many things which are significant for us, but whatever would be on that long list, compared to knowing Messiah, those things are worthless. The Greek text is somewhat sharper and less polite than the English translation, worthless or garbage. It is probably here Paul is contending with some Judaizers, as was probably the case in Galatians 2. It's also worth noting that this chapter 3 follows chapter 2. That's a depth biblical teaching you get at Christ Church. Um, <laughs> Chapter 3 follows 2. Really? That's marvellous. Um, um, but in chapter 2, Paul is writing about the humility of Messiah. And the opposite of humility is pride and boasting. The only legitimate boast, therefore, is in the grace and glory of the Messiah. Pride and boasting excludes trust. But Paul is saying... The one exception to that is a declaration and our boasting about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here emphasizes the importance of ongoing trust. He talks about pressing on. And uh, he, this has connections if you know the passage in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul talks about running the race. So Paul is saying, yes, I've inherited all of this and I have this relationship with Jesus and the God of Israel, I'm holding these things together. But I want to press on. I want to press on for the new thing which God is doing. And in Paul's ministry, I think you will see this sense of always pressing on. In terms of his relationship with the Holy Spirit, he says to the church, as he says to himself, keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. It's not something which is just a one-off historical event. It's, it's an ongoing experience. And maybe today, if you're here, and maybe you're feeling perhaps a little bit detached from God and the gospel, uh, you're worried about your case not turning up, when you turn to share bread and wine, maybe that's a time for that fresh touch of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Keep on keeping on. Keep being open for the new thing which God is doing. So Paul is saying that very strongly in, in that passage in Philippians chapter 3. But just a pastoral footnote to that. And this is, I think, quite difficult for some of us who have been Christians and followers of Jesus for a number of years. There seems to be to be a tension. 
And I'm not quite sure how to reconcile this tension. Maybe over coffee, we can, you know, people can talk about this. There's a sense in which, from Philippians 3, we press on. There is an, there is an ambition to go deeper, to go further, to do new things for God. Um, in the organization I, I help lead, we have something called key performance, performance indicators, which always sort of drives me a little bit scatty, really. Key performance indicators. What are you going to do next year? What's your new targets? What are you going to achieve? And I say, well, oh, I don't know. I'm going to do my best, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and it is good, isn't it, to have targets, to be ambitious, to dream dreams. But equally, as a follower of Jesus, we need to be content content with where we are and what God has given us. And I think we do walk a tightrope between being ambitious, looking to the new thing, and being content in what God has given us. Contentment, I think, is dangerous when it leads to complacency. And in that case, it's not good. But ambition is not good when it undermines the present, when we fail to live in the moment, and we're always seeking the horizon rather than the present reality. And of course, those ambitions must be in the Lord Jesus and not in our own agendas. And sometimes those things get muddled. So that's something for us to perhaps think about. What is the uh, balance between contentment and ambition within a holy life? And our final reading, the gospel reading from John 12, Jesus is anointed at Bethany. I just love this gospel reading. Um, I, I, think, I think I kind of picked up a bit of humor in here. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be here, but forgive me if it's not. But I love it when it begins in John chapter 12. If you're reading this for the first time, you imagine what you might make of it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. What? He just sort of said that. You know, Jesus has been raised. Well, I've never come across this before. He's just sort of put in as if it's a normal occurrence. You know, uh, yeah, he came to his house and this guy's been raised from Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. What? You know, uh, amazing. Uh, and the context, of course, of the, of the rising of Lazarus is, is, is in the previous chapter. But I, I just love that way it's just sort of put in there uh, as a sort of uh, side note. But what an incredible meeting that must have been. Why? I think primarily because of the presence of Lazarus, who had been a corpse, a corpse just a few days before. Matthew Henry, the great uh, Puritan devotional writer, says this about the story of Lazarus. Those whom Christ has raised to spiritual life are raised for the purpose to sit together with him. Those whom Christ has raised to spiritual life are raised for the purpose to sit together with him. I just wonder what kind of conversation took place between Lazarus and Jesus during that evening. Wow. Wonderful. Precious. And then it's also an incredible moment because there's a sense here in which the ministry of Jesus is taking a new direction. This is perhaps a moment of calm before the storm. This is a farewell visit to Bethany. There's going to be a parting of the ways. If you go back just to John 11:54, this point is made. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved around publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Aprathim, where he stayed with his disciples. 
So there is a sense in which the climactic events of Holy Week are about to take place. And something is changing in the nature of Jesus' ministry. So this has been an incredible meeting. Lazarus is there, of course. But there's also, this is marking a fork in the road in the ministry of Jesus. And then we have, in the middle of that evening, a wonderful act of devotion. It's there in verse 3 that Mary took about half a litre of pernard and an expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. How precious Jesus is, is what Paul is saying in Philippians 3. Philippians 3 is the doctrine of the centrality and beauty of Jesus for the believer. But here is a practical expression of that devotion. Uh, so if you've got the theology in Philippians 3, you've got the devotional act here in John 12. As this uh, ointment is poured out. When we do things for God, um, the issue of motivation often comes to the forefront of our minds. What is the motivation for this act? I suppose if you were part of the uh, prosecution team, you could say pure pride and vanity on Mary's part. She wanted to be noticed. She wanted to be the center of attention. We have a saying in the UK, I'm not sure if it translates well outside, but we often talk about the hostess with the mostest. You know, someone who wants to sort of show off. And what would be better than taking that uh, expensive nard and, and, and using it? But Jesus knew perfectly, unlike all of us, our knowledge is always somewhat imperfect. He knew that this was a genuine act of devotion. And that's why it is recorded in scripture and, and that's why uh, it is celebrated. This act, like the perfume, was pure and genuine and costly. Unlike Judas, who challenges this action, his motives were impure. The statement Judas makes in verse 5 is exactly right. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth at least a year's wages. That part is right. The question is, is the act justified by the motivation? Judas, his motive was impure. We know that ultimately he didn't care about the poor. He was uh, dishonest with, with the funding. And we need to examine motivations. But Mary's motivation was perfect. It was an act of devotion. And Jesus praises her for that. I could pose a question which maybe the Holy Spirit is whispering in some of our ears, is how pure is our motivation when we seek to follow Yeshua, Jesus? I remember uh, on the 23rd of March, 1985, I was ordained into Christian ministry. Alex, how is that possible? They didn't only ordain people of five. Um, um, uh, anyway, uh, and the question which I was asked uh, and I'm sure many people who have been ordained in different traditions are asked a very similar question. And the question was this, are zeal for the glory of God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, obedience to the Holy Spirit, and a desire for the salvation of the world, so far as you know your own heart, 
the chief motives which lead you to enter this ministry? I answered yes, and I, by God's grace, would hope to answer yes again today. But I'm pleased there's that slight caveat there, as far as you know your own heart. And, uh, you know, that's, that's important. Do we ever fully know our own heart? So Mary makes this act of devotion, and it, the motivation is pure and perfect. But also the final thing to say, it's not just that the motivation is pure and perfect, but also the timing is perfect. Um, Jesus would no longer be visiting Bethany. Jesus would not always be with them in the way in which he was there. This act of kindness and generosity, this act of service, if it didn't happen then, there would be no opportunity for it again. This was a one-off moment, a spontaneous and a beautiful moment in that. And Mary was able to seize the moment. I think probably in our lives we have loads of opportunities to do acts of kindness and acts of generosity and acts of devotion. But there may be, and I think this is the, the, the gift of the Spirit, to recognize those kairos moments. If we miss the moment, it won't come again. And maybe if you're on a, a tour around Israel, the Lord will give you just one moment in that tour to respond to that prompting of the Spirit. And uh, it will be gone. And it will, that moment will be lost. So the issue of timing is really important. And again, I'll ask the Holy Spirit to, to put that on your heart. So in conclusion, we have covered some key texts. Isaiah 43, Psalm 126, Philippians 3, and the Gospel reading from John 12. And we began to look at that. I'm sure there's much more work we can do and reflect on those texts. But I want to just finish with, with this. As we approach Passover and the days leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection, let us all ask the Lord that we will reflect deeply on these readings we've heard this morning. And for those of us who have put our trust in the Messiah, may we go deeper during this Easter period and may we keep on keeping on. May we explore our motives. May we juggle contentment with ambition. And for those of us who are hearing this and we have not yet put our trust in Jesus, the Messiah, and the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, maybe this season is the time for your act of devotion, your costly commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thanks be to Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.